Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Hello there, my name is Des Cahill and today's visitor to the island is a former teacher, TD and junior minister who took a huge career change, was ordained a priest in the Church of Ireland and is now serving in Waterford. So it's a pleasure to welcome Reverend Trevor Sargent. And how is life in the church, Trevor? Well, like what everybody does, um, it's undergone lots of challenges and getting back to worshipping in church buildings is quite quite a um, a checklist, really, of things that have to be done and done right. And to be honest, it's it, it's incredible how, in, in spite of the tragedy of COVID-19, the number of people who are now tuning in online to church services and Dean Marie Janssen, who's my, my mentor in, in Waterford, has uh, gone on a very fast learning curve and we're, we're now producing YouTube videos and going around the four churches in the Union of Parishes and people are becoming, I won't say celebrities, but they're, they're getting used to being on, on, the, on the screen. <laughs> and are you past the stage now where people go, Trevor Sargent and the double take and the politician, do you still find everyone's talks about your Ah, there's no doubt, yeah. There's an awareness there, all right. And no, no matter where I go, um, you know, after the Greens becoming a part of the, the new coalition, I suppose you're yeah. happy, you know, that kind of thing. You know, the sort of the, the people in a knowing way saying, you know that I know that you know. So, yeah. uh, And then they go on with the rest of the conversation. It's hard to walk away from politics, I sense, because I, I imagine when you're in it, particularly if you're you know, leading a party mm. or whatever, part of a government, you're immersed in it. Well, yeah, I, but I've always had this idea that, to be honest, I know people mightn't like this idea, but everybody is a politician. Everybody who spends money is making political decisions. And when you're interested in human rights and justice and the, the future of the planet, everybody has a part to play. So the idea that it's all up to those lads in Leinster House is a very simplistic uh, and incomplete way of looking at politics. Naturally enough, they're, they're the full-time people. It was always a great blessing to me and I thank the people of Dublin North for giving me the opportunity to do full-time what I would have been doing part-time and have the opportunity to do it uh, and not to be compromising my poor students in the classroom who had to put up with a teacher that had their head somewhere else as well as in the classroom. Well, tell us about that. You started as a teacher. Yeah, 1981 in, in West Cork. Uh, after training in the Church of Ireland College of Education, I had a, a dream that I'd love to teach in the Gaeltacht and teach in an Irish-speaking school. And the nearest I got, and it was a wonderful experience, uh, was uh, in, in Dunmanway in West Cork, as I was staying with a Gaeltacht family. Mm. Uh, Sean and Joan Deneen, how are you doing? Mm. Sean and Joan, and all, I'm sure they're all the family are very much adults now. But uh, that was an experience. And I got you know to know in West Cork people like Padre O'Riada and that. You know, it was a, a wonderful mm. For a, a guy who'd grown up in suburban South Dublin, um, it was, you know, spreading the wings and finding a life and an identity. And the Irish language has always been very important to me. Was that, where did that come from? Was it in the family? I mean, my parents, um, Mildred and Harry, out in Temple Oak, it was, the growing up, um, I was encouraged to do whatever, I suppose, 
that I felt uh, w- w- was right for me. And even though my parents didn't speak Irish, they knew of my interest. And, uh, you know, they talked to me about Douglas Hyde and other role models uh, from the past. And, um, they, you know, it's my father's family particularly had an interest in mm-hmm. Conor Gaelic and the Gaelic League. And, and that. So it was partly in the family, but it was also a, a way... Maybe it was a rebellious streak. I just yeah. felt if everybody around me was speaking English, I wouldn't mind speaking mm. Irish. And down I went to Conor Gaelic in Harcourt Street and got my first job as a music teacher in Donegal in the Gaeltacht. Um, you know, for a summer college, you know. The Dublin County Board of the GAA were organising um, in Colostor Roscoil up in Carrigart, north of Letterkenny. Yeah. And off I went on a bus on a Monday morning from Parnell Square <laughs> and um, never looked back. Normally people coming the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was wonderful, wonderful to have that. And and I suppose, I mean, you know, we're heading towards the first choice of music. I mean, yeah. Harry Shapen was killed in 1981, the year I started teaching, uh, only 38 years of age. Terrible tragedy in a, in a car crash. Uh, but he had, I, I identified with, in his uh, song, Flowers Are Red, that sense of a child is not there to be corralled or or contained or made to conform, but that we're all blessed by God with gifts. And that creativity is what needs to be nurtured in education. And thankfully, we have not just parents and and teachers, but people who've all been involved in COVID-19 and educating children and giving them the chance to have new experiences, whether nature detectives or whatever else. And in this song, it's a sad song, though, because um, it really... Uh, points to a teacher who is not prepared for a child to have their creativity and needs to be contained mm. and conditioned. And uh, I, I hope it, it's not a typical teacher. I, I think nowadays teachers are much more broad minded. Yeah, it's very powerful given simple lyrics, but a very powerful message. It is. And that's what makes it, I think, such a durable song. The, the chorus, and there are two choruses, really. There's the teacher's chorus and, uh, the and, and then there's the child's yeah. chorus. And the child's chorus is far more upbeat <laughs> and hopeful for the future. And hopefully we'll, we'll all lean, lean towards the child's yeah. uh, hope for the future. I actually looked at it on YouTube ahead of chatting with you better today. And obviously I know the song very well, but I saw him introduce it. And he said his secretary had a child and the teacher said to the secretary, Unfortunately, he doesn't march like the rest of the soldiers in the class, but we'll have him marching to the proper beat by the end of the year yeah. to, to create the conformity that you're talking about. Which is a sad reflection yeah. on, on how teaching used to be. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Harry Shape and the Flowers Are Red, the choice of today's guest, former TD and Junior Minister Trevor, Trevor Sargent. Trevor, you're, you're teaching, you're speaking Irish. Where does the Green Party come in? Growing up as a teenager, I used to listen to Radio Luxembourg like so many others. And at 10 o'clock, Bob Stewart, apart from being a TD or, or a, a DJ, DJ, I should say, yeah. uh, Freudian slip there. He could have been a TD maybe mm. uh, because he used to do the World Wildlife Fund news. And that was a much wider remit in terms of news editorial policy in that it took into account what was happening in the whole world Um, not just in terms of humanity, but in the wider creation as well. So he would talk about, you know, discoveries of particular plants in the rainforest that may have had medicinal uses, or he'd talk about uh, how the the polar bears were finding it tough because of melting ice caps. And so it was a biodiversity uh, as well as a news programme. And when I became of an age to vote, I was looking around to see who's going to reflect these wider values and this important future 
uh, that, that we are all facing and yeah. that we, you know, we need nature for our survival. But it didn't seem to be there. So I remember writing to the German Greens I remember writing to the English Greens and they wrote back and said, listen, stop bothering us. We're in the middle of elections. Did you ever set up your own Green Party? And what, what age were you roughly at this time? Uh, I was about 18, 17, 18. Christopher Fettes, who was a teacher in St. Columbus School, had the, the, the intelligence and the organisational ability to get the first meeting organised, which was in the Central Hotel in Exchequer Street in Dublin. Uh, and that was so. Were you were you party to the setting up of the party? Well, I was a student doing my exams yeah. at the time, so I couldn't really yeah. now skive off. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, as soon as it was set up, I, I joined with with great enthusiasm. Uh, then I got the t- job, as I said, in in West Cork, and I became part of the Cork Green movement. Uh, Sean O'Flynn and all the was guys it down small, there. And, I presume it was small initially. And Dan Boyle and all the rest. Of them. Yeah, still there. But how, it was a small group, I presume, starting off. Oh, very small. Very The Ecology Party of Ireland was called. So Ecology wasn't... Because, you see, you couldn't call it green in those days. Because if you said Green Party, people think that you were in Sinn Féin or something, you know. And because green in Ireland simply meant if you're not green, you're orange, you know. Yeah. So it was only later on when um, all of that United Nations work in terms of the Earth Summit and that became part of the news shall we say, the mainstream news, yeah. that it became, I suppose, recognisable to say Green Alliance it then it became because there was a general suspicion that if you called it a party, it would become like other parties and would just become a careerist yeah. kind of an organisation. So it always retained that grassroots activism uh, element, which it still does today. Was that difficult though, Trevor? I mean, you're you're really against the odds. You're a tiny little party, you're... Probably you were probably struggling to get media mm. coverage in all way. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, and and there was a. I mean, I tell you one. I tell you it against myself, and unfortunately, probably people in the Green Party mightn't thank me for saying it. But I remember canvassing uh, around Balbriggan and Skerries in the in the early eighties. Now, and this was before any prospect of getting elected to mm. anything. There was a glimmer of recognition from this yeah. elderly person, and they they said. Oh, you're very big in Germany, aren't you? And I said, oh, at last, an awareness. Somebody who's read the papers and knows the news internationally and is maybe thinking along those lines. I said, yeah, you're big in Germany. He says, tell me, I've always wanted to know, are you lot anything to do with Hitler Youth? <laughs> so my, my face just sank and I said, oh, here we go, back yeah, to square yeah. one again. Uh, lack road. of awareness. Yeah. And we'll have to start <laughs> explaining. For you to win a seat was a hell of an achievement. Well, in fairness, Roger Garland had broken um, yeah. through the ceiling, you might say, in 1989. Um, but yeah, 92, 92 was the spring tide. So in fairness, uh, Labour were cleaning up and all, mm-hmm. all the float and vote. So in Dublin North, I just got in, uh, I, I think it was half two or nearly three in the morning. Uh, I think most of, most of the people who I'd been canvassing with were in, in their beds asleep thinking there's no hope anyway. Yeah. And they woke up in the morning to hear on, on the news. Uh, I remember Stefan Nutty, my friend in Garristown, saying he woke up, turned on the news, and lo and behold, uh, uh, Trevor Sargent had been elected. So uh, it was. But it was a, a big success, unusual. and a small group kind of taking on the bigger parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it had to be done. You know, there's mm. no, there was no way. I remember um, other parties saying, "Will you not join us? You'll have much better chances," and all that sort of thing. But the whole point was to change not just policy, but also a level of thinking to say this is not just for this generation, it's for the next generation. And even though a government may only last five years at most, yeah. we have to plan and make sure that the next generation, when they grow up in 50 years, will will have a a planet and, and a chance to live in a way we take for granted. 
it was seen as, you know, it was great. Roger Garland, as you meant, you're in there. But did you then go to the doll and realise, God, we're tiny numbers here. It's hard to be effective. Well, I must say my first day there, there was no office. I, I had a, a very large lumbering word processor with me in 1992 and I had to write my first speech to make the maiden speech yeah. there on my own. And in fairness, and I, not just because he's well known to everybody, but uh, the person who came up to me and saw that I was like a little boy lost in the big school uh, was uh, Michael D. Higgins. Right. Yeah, and Michael D. In fairness, he, I mean, he's a he's a yeah. he's a wonderful teacher as well as a, a, a an academic and poet and leader in, in his own way, but he had that sensitivity, I suppose, to see here was a fella in a different party. You know, yeah. wasn't going to get any yeah. thanks from Labour for helping yeah. me, but uh, he came up to me and he said, "Listen, I just." wonder this is your first day would you like to go for a cup of coffee and I'll just show you where things are and, and you know what, what how things work around here fantastic yeah. and uh, yeah he and he just we went for a cup of coffee together and, and he, he showed me where, where the the political correspondence were and all the rest of the things that were important around <laughs> Leinster House I'll always thank him for that and really f- feel he's a genuine man we're very fortunate to have as our yeah, president it's a lovely it's a lovely story the experience of your first couple of years in the doll, your first term in the doll. There was no pleas in everybody. I mean, you know that know that in life, you know. Uh, I mean, I was a TD for Dublin North. Roger had unfortunately lost his seat. And I took from that a lesson that when you're elected by your local community, don't go thinking that you're the TD for the whole of the country mm. uh, because they'll soon let you know back in your home base that they feel you're, you're missing. And it's a very diverse constituency as well, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, Dublin North's pretty big now. Mm. I mean, it, you know, it's got all, it's got the, all the coastal the rural element to it, kind of. It's very rural, yeah. The whole horticulture heartland yeah. of Ireland, really, uh, up and around Scarry's Knoll and out Ballybockle Way and Garristown. Yeah. So, and then the sea, of course, you've got up from um, Port Marnock, Malahide, up to Scarry's Lochshinny, yeah. Rush, Balbriggan, all the rest, and then Dublin Airport, of course, and the the fringes of the city in mm. in Santry and. And it went down to Castlenock. In fact, it went down the main street of Castlenock and Blanchardstown when, when I started. And uh, I can remember um, Joan Burton and a few others in Dublin West. And we were all meeting at public meetings. There were more TDs because Dublin North TDs and Dublin West TDs yeah. had to be attending. And there might be only a half dozen from a residence association <laughs> and the rest of the hall, you know. So it was very odd. And the boundary changed, obviously, when the population changed. Yeah. Your second musical choice, Trevor Sargent, the Water Boys. Well, now there's a wonderful, wonderful memory, and and politics is you know it's hard graft and it's thankless, and there's lots lots of hard luck stories in it. But there are some high points, and the high point for me was 1987. The Water Boys came to visit the Green Party office, which was in Temple Bar at the time. Now, not too many people, to be honest, knew them in, in the office. Mm. Uh, well, thankfully, uh, Tommy Simpson from from um, Sandry did. Uh, Tommy said, you know, that you know who that is? That, that's that's uh, Mike Scott and that's the Waterboys. And they came in to offer to do us a charity concert because there was a lot of fish kills and water pollution at, t- at the time. Read, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 And so they said, listen, Nods, uh, you're the Green Party. Uh, would you like us to do a couple of concerts for you? So, um, of course, you know, we were strapped, you know, there was yeah. no money for anything. And uh, the chance of having a few bob to do an election now was great. They, they they set up in the Olympic ballroom. They, you know, they asked us to do Usher and Steward yeah. and all the rest of it. And we were only too happy. 
fantastic concert. I mean, uh, This Is The Sea was riding high, you know, the whole of the moon. Mm. And honest yeah. to goodness, we were swinging. And afterwards, I was heading off to the Gael Talk, as I, it was my won't. Mm. And I was going to Connemara. And I'd heard that they were recording an album in Spiddle House. So I said, well, what better uh, opportunity than to go up and thank them, you know, for mm. the wonderful concerts in, in Dublin. And uh, nobody was around at all. And then all of a sudden, uh, I thought, I mean, you know, my luck was out. They, they were missing, you know, they'd gone off um, on a day. Uh, this Renault 4, um, dangerously packed, I can tell you. People hanging out of it uh, at every window. They had been down to Hughes's uh, pub. They'd collected anybody who was interested in uh, being part of the album um, because they were going to record a, a waltz, would you believe? And my luck was in because they had... Whatever it was, you know, they, they, they had s- seven fellas and eight girls or whatever. And, mm. uh, you know, then so any, any, any fella liked to waltz. <laughs> and of course, my hand went up like a shot. I ended up waltzing on the album. Now, trying not to trip over the wires. <laughs> now, I don't think health and safety had anything much to do with it at yeah. that time. And then the album came out. They presented me with an album signed by the, by the whole lot of them. Uh, Anto Thistlewaite and uh, Trevor Hutchison and Mike Fantastic. himself yeah. uh, and uh, Steve Wickham and the lads and... Uh, and there was in the middle of a long, long list of credits, Trevor Sargent. Now, I didn't say that I had to dance for my supper, but um, the, 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 the Fisherman's Blues has always been very close to my heart ever since. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's the Fisherman's Blues from the Waterboys, the choice of today's guest, former TD and junior minister Trevor Sargent. Now, Reverend Trevor Sargent, the decision to go to the church, mm. big decision, obviously. Well, it might appear from the outside, Des, but it was a very natural progression for me. I, I'd always felt the challenges that we face on, on this earth are going to be very difficult to overcome without some kind of divine inspiration or intervention. <laughs> and so I'd always been, you know, very involved in my, my local church, whether it was Ratfarnham Church growing up in, in Dublin or in Balbriggan, St. George's Church was very much part of my life uh, and I value the, the solidarity and support of the community there uh, as well. It was not that unusual. In fact, the opportunity when I lost the election in 2011, it was one of those situations that you talk about that, you know, God doesn't close one door but opens another. Were you devastated on, on one hand? Well, you know, you give it your best shot and, you know, you can't really dwell on these things. You know, politics, as I said earlier, it's 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 a great honour to be able to do something full-time that other people are doing voluntarily yeah. and in part-time uh, as much as they can in different ways in, the, in every community in the country, whether it be in sport or whether it be in, in tidy towns or working for non-governmental organisations, you know. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was just, I'd done my bit and the people had decided it was going to have to end there and that was that. In a way, I suppose... Ironically, I'd probably thank the people of Dublin North for giving me the chance before I got too old, you yeah. know, because you know, at a certain It'd be age, harder to change. Yeah, yeah indeed. You yeah. know, I was just of an age that it was possible to take on a new challenge, to do a master's in theology and Trinity and, you know, knuckle down and, you know, learn the technology. And thanks to my wife, Anya, Anya Neville, who's listening there, hopefully, uh, in Curriclo, um, you know, she's got a good IT background and it, it was a great help for me because everything had to be done online in college now, of course, you know, all, all the essays have to be, now, of course, COVID is different, yeah. <laughs> even more so. But at, even then, you know, academia is now very online. 
And uh, so I was able to do that. It was a three-year course through the Church of Ireland Theological Institute. And as a deacon with a great uh, friend and ecologist and geologist indeed, Andrew Orr, Reverend Andrew Orr in Tullow, uh, he, he was the, the man who was given the job to train me up as a deacon. And then after that, um, when I'd done the master's and got the dissertation and all the rest of it and graduated, then I, I became a curate. Bishop Michael Burroughs in Cashel Ferns and Ossery felt I'd be a fit in, in Waterford and I'm delighted to be there with uh, Dean Maria Janssen. So it's an opportunity and I, I'm still involved with Eco Congregation Ireland. And, you know, the, the, and since, in fairness, Pope Francis has done more, I think, to bring the church into a state of relevance for the present and the future generations through his encyclical Laudato Si, because he's pointed out that care for our common home is part of our mission as a church mm-hmm. and that this is not just some kind of, uh, you know, waiting room uh, while we take off into the here, hereafter, mm-hmm. you know, that we have a responsibility to look after this earth and it's part of our, you know, I mean, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, as Psalm 24 mm-hmm. says. So it's not ours. You know, we're here as guests. And uh, I, when you're visiting anybody's house, you don't thrash it, you know. Yeah. So that's the, that's why the church to me is so important, because it has that way of connecting people's lives with their future hopes and aspirations. And a final question before your last piece of music, Trevor. So the Green Party now part of government, you watched all that very closely, mm, obviously. Absolutely, yeah. De- definitely wish Eamon Ryan and all of the TDs and senators and new ministers and ministers of state, you know, all the energy and stamina and resilience <laughs> and creativity and hard neck and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, ability to sleep when they get the chance. Uh, it, it's, it's 24-7, you know, and... Uh, you, you do your very best and you take the advice from those who hopefully who who have done a lot of research and know what, what needs to be done. Uh, but really, it's it's a young man's game, I'd have to say. You know, I mean, the stamina that's needed in politics, you, you have to be sometimes, uh, you know, the first at a meeting, the last to leave a meeting and you still have to get up for Morning Ireland. <laughs> so <laughs> it's... damn it's, Morning it's, Ireland, yeah. <laughs> Tell me I, about it. But there you go yourself, yeah. But I have to say, my, my, my final piece... And I just want to dedicate it to Dr. Eric Sweeney, the organist who retired uh, before the great Simon Harden took over as organist in Christchurch Cathedral in, in Waterford. And my ordination on the 8th of September 2018, uh, the feast of the, birth, of the birth of the Blessed Virgin, was topped off beautifully by this wonderful organ piece, this uh, Toccata and Fugue in D minor by Johann Sebastian Bach. And it's a piece of music that I've always held dear, but of course never so much when uh, Anya and myself and remembering her mother, Marie, who would have loved to have been there, who who died not too long before that. And it really, in that cathedral setting, surrounded by your friends and family and political colleagues, Eamon Ryan was there and um, John Gormley and Dan Boyle, were quite, you know, it was a wonderful you know, I, I mean, I could have died happy that day, you know, because it, it really was a fantastic celebration, but it was full of hope and passion for the future and the hopes that that might be. So that piece by Bach, for me, sums up what it means. Because Bach, you know, every piece of music he wrote, he put JJ at the front of it. Um, now, my brother-in-law is called JJ, but this mm-hmm. JJ was uh, Yuva Jesu, which was God, Jesus help me. 
So every piece of music he recognised, I'm going to need some divine help for this. And at the end of every piece of music, he wrote Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. The focus that he had and the dependence on divine inspiration comes through when you listen to his music. Lovely chatting with you, Reverend Trevor Sargent. It's a pleasure, success to you. Thank Thanks you. very much. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.